news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. Information from an official source which reached our newsroom this afternoon stresses the seriousness of the situation. <laughs> Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best of horror, sci-fi, action, exploitation, women in prison movies, and other genre films from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. Jack Hills, Spider Baby, is a really neat, fun little movie that I'm glad you introduced me to. Mm-hmm. This being, of course, Spider Baby or the maddest story ever told. It had various guises, various titles, uh, pre-production. Uh, the connective thread, uh, vis-a-vis as far as our podcast is concerned, uh, Jack Hills, The Big Dollhouse, and also the presence of the incomparable Sid Haig mm-hmm. is a starring role here and we've podcasted Rob Zombie movies so neat stuff to see a fresh out of theater school fresh-faced relative youngster Sid Haig in a lead role here so again spider baby right well okay first of all this is the directorial debut of the wonderful Jack Hill who is a genre cinema explanation cinema legend the guy has written and or directed movies such as Big Dollhouse Big Birdcage Coffee, Foxy Brown, The Swinging Cheerleaders, etc., etc. We have Sid Haig in this movie. Sid Haig is a man that needs no introduction. In this movie, he is... He needs no dialogue. (laughs) Well, yeah, maybe that's true. He he barely says a word, but that's part and parcel of his character. He is uh, young, he's fresh-faced, he's almost unrecognizable. Um, Carol Omart is in this movie, and she played Annabelle, Vincent Price's wife, in... House of Haunted, Haunted Hill. Hill. And top build in this movie, and he definitely should have been, is the great Lon Chaney. 
Otherwise known as Lon Chaney Jr. He hated that... Appalachian. Mm. Appalachian Jr. Uh, he wanted to just be Lon Chaney. Of course, the son of the great Lon Chaney, senior, Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm. Phantom of the Opera. Lon Chaney was a wonderful actor who is most famous for playing the Wolfman in the Universal Horror Cycles. He played uh, Larry Talbot, who was the always sympathetic alter ego of the Wolfman, mm. and then when the full moon... And the Wolfbane bloomed. And the wolf yeah, bloomed, yeah, yeah. And the Wolfman. He, um, the thing about Lon Chaney, unfortunately, is that he was never able to escape the shadow of two things, his father and also the character of the Wolfman. So he appeared in a lot of small roles in other movies, and then he also appeared in a lot of what people would say, direct. Now, the reality is he also had a substance abuse problem, and he died a scant six years after this movie came out. He died, I believe, in 73. But this movie, as far as I'm concerned, he is wonderful, this movie. He's a, it's a really interesting, sympathetic character. Beautiful performance and a great swan song for an underappreciated actor. It wasn't his last movie, but it was his last great movie. Because I believe his last movie, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, he was pretty much mute. He barely said a word in that one, and that had nothing to do with Universal whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting you mentioned like being in you know his father's shadow. Well, speaking of shadows, I mean this is a black and white film, mm -hmm. and we didn't mention that. And you'd be forgiven for thinking otherwise, given the year that it came out, which was four or five years later after it was shot, and it's a lush, beautiful movie, and. You know, you alluded to House on Haunted Hill. This is a little bit of a haunted house movie. And we get uh, a family. And they're an interesting group. Mm. They are the descendants of the Mary. M-E-R-R-Y-E. -E. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Mary family. And they are afflicted with this very odd genetic condition that were made aware of through the narrator reading from this book. And this condition causes them to become a genetic defectives. And they're sterile. It causes them to exhibit and manifest all these awful kind of behaviors of, I guess, savage kind of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And they live in this mansion on a hill, to quote a Neil Young song. And they are under the custody of... Just like Neil Young or Bruce Springsteen. He has a mansion on the hill song, I'm too. Sure oh, my wrong. God. <laughs> and they've been known to duet with one another, so that would be neat if they did the other, one another's mansion on the hill, but we digress. <laughs> Lon Chaney is the custodian of this group, and he's Bruno, and he's the aging... He's this de facto patriarch, but since they don't have a... Well, they kind of don't have a father. We'll get to that. He is... They're under his charge. Now, there are some ruthless relatives who want this estate... And they go by Emily and Peter. Mm -hmm. They've enlisted the help of a shyster lawyer to, I guess, work on the deed to try and see who really owns this place. And they think it's them because, well, Lon Chaney is a custodian and not a familial relation to them. Right. He's, he's basically the chauffeur of the family. Yeah. And but before we get too far into the plot, mm. uh, we should say about this Mary syndrome and other things that it... Uh, results in is it um, age regression and it ed ends up leading to savagery and cannibalism mm -hmm. and the denizens of this house in addition to Bruno 
are two girls, one by the name of Virginia, the other one by the name of Elizabeth, Sid Haig, who plays Ralph, and a whole host of other characters, which we'll get to. Oh yeah, and, and these girls are fantastic because they, again, they should be wards of the state. They're homeschooled, they have no social skills, they're very, I guess their, their, their development has been held back. And they're interesting, I think, uh, yin-yang. They're kind of like, you know, Hamlet's advisors or Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. One completes the other. One's a brunette, the other's a blonde. They dress the same. They act the same. They're really terrific, fun, young characters. And well, as far as I'm concerned, Virginia is one of the most indelible characters in horror. I mean, this is a girl who thinks she's a spider. Yes, yes. Here go the title. Mm -hmm. uh, she has her spider dance. She stings like a spider meaning that he carries knives around and he's in the, you know, I mean, this, this was introduced in the device of the mailman. He comes by looking oh, for yes. the house. And that's his last delivery because that girl makes mincemeat of right. him as he comes over. Yeah. And, and he delivers the, I guess the, the, what, what do you call it? Uh, maybe as a, a subpoena. Subpoena. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he, trying to find his way into the house. He looks through a window, the window shuts, snares him as if he was in a spider web to continue the spider motif. Virginia then throws a net over him, says, you're now in my web, and now I'm going to sting you. She takes a couple knives and makes mincemeat out of him. Yeah, it's almost like Gordon Ramsay, like, uh, you know, crossing the knives with, like, a sharpener. It was like, ching, ching. It was neat. And then she goes all stabby on him. Poor Bruno, coming home after taking Ralph to some sort of doctor's appointment, sees what had transpired. And as you were saying about the yin-yang between Virginia and Elizabeth... Uh, they sort of have a bit of a rivalry, and Elizabeth is like, I think you need to hate her. Oh, don't hate me, Bruno. They love Bruno. Uh, they're, they're, they don't want to be hated by Bruno, but the thing about Bruno is there's nothing hateful about him. He doesn't have yeah. a hateful bone in his body. Now, why, we should say, why did he take Ralph to the doctor? Explain Ralph. Well, uh, Ralph, as we mentioned, uh, Sid Haig, who also, in a way, steals this picture. He is a oh a, almost a Max Schreck kind of character, skulking about with a bald head and maniacal visage, and he's he's kind of the family mute manservant, and he just does their bidding, whether it be hunts and forages for food on their on their estate, and he is moved around the house via an interesting device, which is a dumbwaiter, and he's uh, eventually introduced to his cousins and the lawyer and they come in and rather unceremoniously introduce themselves to poor old Bruno saying like they're not exactly a Trojan horse type uh, scheme they tell him they have legal papers and that they're gonna treat him right and not to worry because he's been the custodian so he won't be not so much out on his ear but not in so many words he will be out on his ear this and is a house that has many secrets uh, Bruno, I think at that point, you get the sense that he's a man of limited intellect himself. He's got a huge heart, but he really doesn't know what to do. All he really knows how to do for his entire life is serve his master, that would be the patriarch, the Mary patriarch, and now take care of these kids. Again, Ralph, Virginia, and Elizabeth. And the thing is that, yes, when you have these ruthless cousins that are barely related, and don't, for, and don't forget what the lawyer's name is, because that was played for laughs. Schlocker. Schlocker. <laughs> yeah. Although, they, although Chaney calls him Schlocker a number of times, he keeps yeah. him the name of Schlocker. He also has a secretary in tow. Schlocker's a unique character. He's all got this almost like this Hitler, Hitler mustache. Hitler mustache, mm -hmm. yeah, chewing on a stogie in perpetuity. And when he meets his demise, the stogie's still, you know, plunked into his mouth. It's mm -hmm. a great character. 
Now, as um, they're questioning Bruno about the kids and their welfare, why aren't they going to school, and Bruno's trying to delicately say, these are special kids. In fact, you might call them retarded. He also describes what this married condition is, and that it results in regression and ultimately savagery. And furthermore, he says that they're vegetarians. They don't eat meat, because if they do, that will hasten up the condition. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> what is that? Well, that's rabbit. Obviously. Not bad, Bruno. Looks done to a turn. Thank you, sir. I hope you enjoy it. You know, we're very fortunate to have meat for our guests. You see, uh, we're vegetarians. Vegetarians? It's dead. We don't eat dead things. But good Lord, man, why on earth? master. Don't say it. You made a promise. It was no idle whim, I assure you. The master knew of the grave danger. The danger? Well, yes, Bruno. What is that supposed to mean? Well, the master believed, and he should know, that the eating of flesh would hasten the progress of their condition. No, I've heard everything. Quite a feast featuring as a menu item what they pass off as a rabbit, but is in actuality the neighborhood cat that Ralph has caught in the front yard and mm -hmm. has butchered and roasted. Yeah, so well, I mean, they're he, calling when, this when you know, rabbit stew or whatever yeah. it is. It's, yeah. When he catches a cat, it's, he's feral. He pounces on the cat. You also have uh, Virginia, the spider baby, so to speak, in the title. She's sort of foraging for insects and also, I believe, mushrooms. Mushrooms, yeah. And she's kind of, I don't know, I mean, she's on her stomach and she's yeah, uh, shimming along. Yeah, on the prowl. are very, very strange. And the thing about the cousins is that they're hell-bent on getting this um, fortune. And they're not going to leave well enough alone. They're going to investigate. They're going to, you know, they're, they're strange noises emanating from the basement. Of course, yeah. And and to his credit, I guess one of the cousins, which would be uh, Peter, he's got, uh, I don't know, I guess he's really in it for the money, but he, he's somewhat sympathetic as well, because he's got a, a kind of candide naivete and optimism, and he just greets these weirdo girls very matter-of-factly, very politely. Mm -hmm. He's open to whatever repast that he's offered. He doesn't mind staying the night. He's like a, quite a nice character. So it's quite funny that he's meant to be the villain pitted in opposition to the equally uh, friendly and compelling Lon Chaney role. So it's, it's interesting that these two would be antagonists because they're both really terrific guys. And you're, you're torn as a viewer rooting for both of them. Although ultimately, I guess one would side with the with the Bruno character, but he, he's great, and his sister, maybe not so great, mm -hmm. but there, she really wants to get in and out and just get, sign the papers and, and sell the house and do whatever it is. Well, you get the sense that he's sort of the, the, the ringleader of this whole yes. scheme, this whole plan. He's along for the ride. Uh, he even, there, there, it is very interesting because I don't know how old these girls are supposed to be. Teens. Teens. Yeah. And there is a very sort of, um, I would say semi-inappropriate uh, psychosexual thing happening. Definitely, definitely. Virginia and Peter, where she sort of ties him up, 
and very suggestively asks him if he wants to play Spider. Now, he has no idea what playing Spider means. That basically means being chopped up, stung, yeah. and cut to death by knives. He agrees, and of course, poor Bruno has to intervene and say, no, 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 no Spider. Yeah, and I guess this is rather age-inappropriate. Interestingly enough, it came out in 1967. It starts off with a very whimsical, jovial, sort of animated credit scene. Yeah, to uh, indicate it's more comedic. Yeah, yeah. it's also got a, almost like a Monster Mash type song, and that song was actually sung by, by Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of things about this movie, subtextual, almost textual, that are very uh, subversive, and I would say not family friendly. There's a, there's a lot of sexual tension between Virginia and Peter. Yeah, and maybe because he's got a few drinks in him as well that he's probably doesn't have. Oh, I don't have. think so. I, I think that the, the, the okay, yeah, he Jack doesn't exactly Hill fight her off. Let's put it that way. Made yeah, Virginia, a sexualized character. Mm -hmm. He was really skirting the mores of the time. Uh, for sure. Baby. Yeah, and yeah, and Peter's playing right along with this game, w whose end game is not good for him. Although he manages to extricate himself, and. Yeah, a great little piece where you have all these characters uh, trapped in this house and uh, we get a terrific demise of everyone's least favorite barrister, Schlocker, who's trapped in a basement and the knives come out and both of these girls slice and dice him. Really terrific once you start to see what is up with this family mm -hmm. and how, the, how their behavior really manifests itself from well, this, this eponymous syndrome, Mary syndrome. Two things. Number oh, one, yeah. when uh, Bruno, poor, poor Pumpon Bruno, discovers uh, Schlocker's corpse, it's, very, uh, it's a very fun scene because he manifests himself coming up from the basement on the dump waiter yeah. <laughs> and very Bruno realizes that, oh my God, what is going on here? Something needs to be done. You said, you know, they're finding out what is up with this family, but beyond what is up with this family, what about what is down with this family? What is what is in the basement? Without spoiling too much, let's talk about some of the things that reside in the basement. Well, this movie does have a callback to, again, uh, Lon Chaney's origins in the Universal films. There is a direct Wolfman callback. And then what does lurk in the basement is, I without tipping it off, Yes, uh, more here suit family members yeah. to say no more. But yeah, These you are can family guess. members that have been that are in the advanced stages of the Mary syndrome. Yes, and when you talked about the direct callback at one point, they mentioned that there's going to be a full moon tonight, and Lon Chaney also just perks up. There's going to be a full moon tonight. Yeah, yeah. And sort of reprises a Larry Talbot role. So ultimately, this is. A house with secrets. This is a house that was, I guess, left to its own devices for many, many years. And within the house, within the walls, there are many things that were not meant to be known by the outside world. And this is going to sort of segue into what I learned from this movie. You know, what did you learn? Well, what I learned, and I, I've, you know, I've seen this movie many a time, and it was only on this uh, past viewing, preparing for this podcast, that this movie had a lot of similarities to one of our mutual favorite movies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh -huh. Many, many similarities. First of all, you have a family with secrets. A family with secrets that are about to be exposed. Yes, a desiccated patriarch. That was another one. You have a desiccated um, 
family member, a deceased family member, kept in the house, who yeah. the family almost treats, treats as if they're sentient or alive. Yeah. You have a house invaded by outsiders well. who get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, allusions to cannibalism as you well. Well, that's, that's, that's great. I never thought that. I thought. And, and before you go, there's one more mental regression. Yes. Leatherface versus, let's say, Ralph and Virginia. So there's a lot of similarities to Texas Chase Massacre, and I'm wondering if Toby Hooper actually took influence from Spider Baby. Obviously, not aesthetically, but a lot of the storyline is quite similar. Interesting. I've never seen a connection like that because where I thought you were going to go with this was to segue into what I learned because I thought, oh, one of our mutual favorites, the classic, and I thought, how are you not going to mention Psycho? Because that's what I thought because the house looks very, very similar and the fact that it's completely full of taxidermy scenes and bird shadows and... I thought, okay, that's a little kind of nods to Psycho there, but I, I, I agree with your points way more than the Psycho motif. There's this TCM all over this thing, and who knows, Toby Hooper may have been influenced. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, there's, I guess, references to so many different movies. We'd, we'd be hard-pressed to name uh, all the different influences that could be in this thing, or that it could have influenced. This was a very influential movie, and you mentioned before that this film... The cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, there's one scene where the girls are chasing the evil Emily, Aunt Emily, through the forest, and the use of light and shadow in that scene, incredible. Incredible. Um, the relationship between Bruno and the kids is so touching. So sweet, and yeah. And also... He doesn't oh. chastise them for their, uh, their, their atavistic, aggressive, animalistic behavior. He tr see, he's no, seen he's it all before. Sympathetic, yeah, he's sympathetic. Yeah, it's one yeah. of these things he has to curb but mm -hmm. can't control. And, and ultimately, it's a touch relationship that is tragic. And, um, you know, you mentioned also the fact that it's had other titles, and this is going back to the similarities that I found with TCM, Chase of Massacre. This was originally called Cannibal Orgy, or The Maddest Story Ever Told. So, it's just interesting because... Still better than Head Cheese. <laughs> that is a god-awful title. For years and years, I, I loved Spider-Baby because of the original story because of the sort of subversive elements of it all because of the character of Virginia who I thought was just one of the better characters in horror history she just her, I can't remember the name of the actress right now she's no longer with us but it was no. spot on her, her spider dance the way she delivered the lines she managed to skirt that line between innocence and sinisterness if that's a word yeah wonderfully Lon Chaney was fantastic just everything in this movie as far as I was concerned worked and then of course you got the added bonus of a uh, very uh, early performance by Sid Haig mm -hmm. who went on to become sort of a horror icon because of the uh, you know the, his roles in Rob Zombie movies so this is there, there's so much going on in this movie and then, when I realized, again, how similar it is to Texas Chainsaw Massacre in many ways, wow, I mean, it's, my appreciation for Spider Baby has just grown and grown and grown now. And my appreciation for Jack Hill, and I, I've always held him in such high regard because we, well, we've podcasted a couple of his movies now, but that guy is one adept genre hopper. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he did Death Ship as well. Like, he's got... a like wide swath of films that he's done and boy is that guy amazing and 
it goes to show a uh, shoestring budget. He shot this in a two-week schedule in Los Angeles. Uh, I believe the gates to this house was like some uh, Paramount lot that was abandoned. It was just uh, like a generic set. Everything's done on the cheap. Well, the, the, but the house still exists. The, the house, house is, is an yeah, house. and you can go see it now. Mm -hmm. It's in Los Angeles, and it's it's a gorgeous setting. But I mean, he had nothing. He couldn't even properly shoot the scene where the poor postie is offed by. Uh, one of the girls because they didn't have the proper lighting or the electricity to do it so they just jerry-rigged it somehow to make it filmable and that scene also has a little bit of uh, it's a little surreal and little dreamlike because they couldn't fully light it and it just adds to the mystique of this weird film and it's terrific it's just so much fun and so endearing so charming and it's very talky in a way that only movies from the 50s and 60s could be because this has enough dialogue for three or four modern horror films, that's for sure. There's lots of engagement between the various principles, and I thought it was all just done spectacularly well. Talky, uh, yeah, never boring. Never, and only no really eight, 75 minutes or whatever it was. 82 it was, minutes. Very short and, and just sweet. No reliance on cliches because this, this movie didn't follow any mold. In nope. fact, it, it set a mold, you for know? For sure. So it's, it's an original, entertaining, wonderful treasure that every horror fan owes it to themselves yeah. to see. And I'm going to give it a three and a half for that very reason. And I, almost maybe three and three quarters. It's just, I've watched it twice in the span of a week because I was just so utterly charmed by it. Mm -hmm. From the, the title credits to the theme song warbled by Lon Chaney to even the car, it's a German name and name escapes me, a wonderful car. It's really unique because I think it was a car from the 30s. It looks like something Monty Burns would drive around. Really, so many things to commend it. But, yeah, your star rating? Four stars. Nice. And check out our four-star website, www.reallyawfulmovies.com, for more reviews. And uh, send us a suggestion if you have any for uh, any future podcasts. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care.